This show contains descriptions of violent crimes and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. In the early morning of June 18, 2014, a 24-year-old woman is pacing back and forth between her car and an apartment building in Askersund, a small town in the middle of Sweden. She hasn't slept at all that night, and her mind is racing. Finally, she decides she is going to do this. So she tightens the grip on the knife and the hammer she is carrying and quickly strokes her pocket to make sure the syringes are still in there. With determination in her steps, she starts walking towards the entrance door. Hi, and welcome to episode 31 of True Crime Sweden. I am your host, Pernilla. This is part one of a two-part story. Part two will be released next week, but it is available right now if you go to patreon.com slash truecrimesweden. But before we get into today's case, I have a podcast recommendation for you. I met the hosts on the True Crime Podcast Festival in Chicago. They had the table next to me and were both the sweetest people you could ever imagine. The podcast is called Voice of the Victim, and it's hosted by Rosie and Ryan. To be honest, I hadn't listened to it before Chicago, but now I have been binging on it ever since I got home. I totally love it and strongly recommend that you check it out. But let's hear it from Ryan and Rosie. I'm Rosie. And I'm Ryan. And we make the Voice of the Victim podcast. We share stories about horrible things that happen to real people, and we try our best to tell it from the perspective of the victims and the survivors. We also try to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us, and talk about ways we can stay alert to help prevent it. We want to be encouraging to survivors and help other empathetic people to appreciate the value of awareness. Find Voice of the Victim podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And remember, if you see something, say something. Thank you so much, guys. And I also have some other recommendations on podcasts that you can find on Stitcher Premium. I would really recommend that you check out Off the Record with Nick and the Captain from True Crime Garage. I've been listening to Off the Record for a while now, and I really love it. It feels like you get to know the host a little better. They release an episode of Off the Record every week, and you get to hear their thoughts around the case they cover, and they also revisit old cases in which new information has come up. Another great thing about using Stitcher Premium is that you get ad-free episodes. Yes, you heard me right. Ad-free episodes of, for example, My Favorite Murder and Criminology, plus some more hit shows from the Wandering Network, such as Dr. Death, The Vanished Podcast, and many, many more. Stitcher Premium offers thousands of hours of original content, early access to new releases, exclusive bonus episodes and archives, and hundreds of stand-up comedy albums for when you need to get off true crime for a while and just have a laugh. And of course, my show is also available on Stitcher Premium. And don't get me started on the Stitcher app. I totally love it. 
Before, I used the podcast app that comes with the iPhone I use, but I've really been having some troubles with it, and now I use only the Stitcher app whenever I listen, and it's so much easier to use, and so much more reliable, to be honest. To get a free trial of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code SWEDEN when you sign up. That's stitcherpremium.com and use promo code SWEDEN. And remember, by supporting my sponsors, you also support my show. Thank you so much. But now, it's time to get over to the reason you came here, to hear today's case. This case was researched and written by Johanna Udstål Friberg. Thank you so much, Johanna. This case is an unusual one with a female perpetrator. The people you need to remember in this case is Lovisa Lind, a 24-year-old woman, and Jonna Henningsson, another 24-year-old woman, and the man they are both in love with, Fredrik. Or at least that's what I'm calling him in this story. All the names in the story has been changed, except for Lovisa Lind and Jonna Henningsson. But let's start by getting to know the people involved a little better. I'm going to start with uh, Jonna. Jonna Henningsson was born in 1989, the fourth and youngest child in the family. She grew up in Fellingsbro, a locality of 1,384 people near Örebro in the middle of Sweden. Her mother, Annika, was only 17 years old when she had her first child, a baby girl called Siv. Five years later, she had a son, Mats, and when the two siblings were eight and three years old, their mother met a new man, Lars, and they moved in together. Lars would later become Jonna's father, but before that, the couple had Stina, ten years prior to Jonna's birth. Stina would play a very important role in Jonna's life. When Jonna was eight years old, her parents divorced. The first two years following the divorce, Jonna split her time between her parents' houses. It was a nasty divorce, initiated by Annika, the mother. And Lars, the father, didn't take it well at all. Right from the start, he told the children how their mother didn't want to be part of the family anymore, and they all turned against her. Only Jonna, who was the youngest, sided with her mother. The divorce and the situation with the two parents trying to blame each other seems to have had a big impact on Jonna's life. From a very early age, Jonna took an interest in horses. She would join her older siblings in their nearby stables right from the start, and her interest grew with her age. When she was old enough, she started taking riding lessons and improved at an impressive rate. She spent almost every waking hour outside of school with the horses. She spent her spare time taking care of them, working in the stable and just hanging out with the other girls in the horse barn. Two years after the divorce from Lars, Annika met a new man who lived in Småland in the southern parts of Sweden. They started out having a long-distance relationship, but as time went by, they decided Annika was going to move in with him. Jonna, aged 10 by now, moved with her mother to Småland. And while moving always is tough, this move seems to have been fairly uncomplicated for Jonna. She liked her mom's new boyfriend, and she settled in very well and did well in school. She was a happy-go-lucky girl most of the time, outgoing and very pretty. She was very popular among the opposite sex, and girls wanted to be friends with her. In her junior year of high school, she met a boy and fell in love. The two went out for the rest of their high school years. Horses still remained a big part of her life, although now her spare time had to be split between her boyfriend and the horses. On June 6, 2008, 
Jonna graduated from high school with almost all A's. She wanted to become a doctor or a veterinarian, which both was within reach for her. The only thing missing was a biology class and a science class, which she finished in the year following her graduation. In 2010, Jonna's boyfriend ended their relationship. Jonna took this really, really hard and didn't know what to do with herself. The boyfriend had been her life, her reason for getting up in the morning. And now he said he didn't want to be with her anymore. It was unbearable. Jonna went into a depression and her mother didn't know what to do to help her. So she called Jonna's father, Lars, who came to the rescue. He stayed with Jonna for two weeks and helped her pack up her stuff so she could move back to Fellingsbro with him. Jonna herself didn't know who she was anymore and what she wanted to do next. She knew she didn't want to stay in Småland because it reminded her too much of her ex-boyfriend. So moving home with her father to Fellingsbro while trying to figure out what to do with the rest of her life seemed like a good idea. Jonna was set on becoming a doctor but wanted to gain a little work experience before she went off to college. She applied for a job at Hydroskand in Örebro. That's a company that makes hoses and tubing for the industry. It wasn't long before she fell in love with one of her co-workers, Niklas. They quickly moved in together in an apartment nearby. Their relationship was passionate, but they argued a lot. Niklas later told investigators that Jonna often threatened to kill herself when they were arguing. About a year after they first had met, Niklas started having second thoughts about the relationship. Jonas showed signs of pathological jealousy, and it was taking its toll on them. Jonna would often accuse him of looking at other women. She would also go through his belongings and his phone, looking for evidence of infidelity. Jonna was moody and kept Niklas on a short leash. They argued constantly and Niklas wanted to get out of the relationship. But Jonna wouldn't have any of that. Whenever he brought up the subject of breaking up, she threatened to commit suicide. And Niklas stayed. After two years, Jonna decided it was time to buy a house and take the relationship to the next level. They found a house in Julsta, outside but still near Örebro, where they both worked. In April of 2013, they moved in. For Jonna, this was a dream come true. She finally had a house where she could keep her two horses nearby. A couple of months prior to their move, Jonna started working as a personal care assistant, or Unlicensed Assistive Personnel, UAP. She no longer had the motivation to go back to school, and she needed a permanent job to be able to loan money from the bank to buy the house. If only her relationship with Niklas had been working, life would have been pretty perfect for Jonna at that time. In the following month, Jonna was out partying with her friends, and that's when she met what she would later refer to as the love of her life, Fredrik. They were both at a restaurant called Villa Strampis in Örebro on May 29, 2013. Somehow they bumped into each other and started talking, and Jonna immediately felt a connection with him. But Fredrik already had a girlfriend that he was living with in Örebro, and Jonna had just bought a house with Niklas. So they just added each other on Facebook and kept in touch through Messenger. In the following months, during the summer of 2013, many things unfolded that would later lead up to the murder. Jonna finally broke up with Niklas, now that she had met Fredrik and knew that she wanted to spend the rest of her life with him. But she didn't want to leave their house and the horses, so she suggested that they break up but keep living together. Niklas, who didn't have anywhere else to go, thought it was a convenient way of solving the problem for now. So they were broken up, but they kept living together. 
In Örebro, Fredrik and his girlfriend were also having problems and decided to end their relationship in June. Fredrik moved out and settled in an apartment in a near village of Fellingsbro. By the end of the summer, both Jonna and Fredrik were single and they started dating. Jonna was still living with Niklas, so Fredrik didn't really think she was serious about a new relationship. He was playing it cool and casual. But Jonna was obsessed. She wanted to spend every waking hour with him. She finally found the love of her life, and she didn't want to waste another minute without him. The fall of 2013 came and went, and by the time Christmas was around the corner, Fredrik had had enough of Jonna. She was just too intense for him. She kept talking to him about moving in together, getting a key to his apartment and stuff like that. Fredrik had just got out of a long relationship and wasn't looking for anything too serious. Jonna was absolutely crushed when he told her he wanted them to take a break. She couldn't eat nor sleep, and spent her nights dwelling on the past months. In January of 2014, Jonna decided that enough was enough. It was time to get back on her feet. She still had feelings for Fredrik, but the fact that he wanted to move on without her meant she had to do something about her situation. So she registered a profile on a dating site called Badoo.com. It didn't take long before she had messages from guys. Jonna was petite and very pretty. She was 160 centimeters or 5 foot 2 with long dark blonde hair. One of the men that replied to her was Adam, a freelance journalist. They wrote messages back and forth for a couple of days before they decided to meet in person. Just like many first dates in Sweden, they met up at a cafe for a fika. You know, coffee with a little something on the side. People often do the fika thing as a first date when dating online. Because if you don't click with the person you're meeting, you don't have to sit through a whole dinner. They met, and it all went well, and they wanted to continue their date that afternoon. But Adam had a work meeting later, so they decided to meet at Adam's place at 9pm to watch Netflix and just hang out. Jonna ended up staying the night, and in the morning they watched another movie, and then went for lunch together in Örebro. Adam had to go to work in the afternoon, and they said goodbye. Fredrik, the real love of Jonna's life, had asked Jonna for some space, and she kept her promise. She didn't even send him any texts or Facebook messages. It hurt too much to think of their relationship, and she tried her best to get over him. Occasional hookups from Badoo, partying with friends and spending time with her horses, made her life bearable through January, February, and most of March. She was doing relatively well and even felt hope for the first time in a very long time. Until, boom. Mid-March, Fredrik sent a text from his vacation in Thailand, asking how she was doing. And just like that, Jonas' feelings for him surfaced once again. Her heart started beating faster, and she couldn't help but thinking that there might be a future for her and Fredrik. When she replied, she had a huge smile on her face. And she was blushing. And that's how Jonna and Fredrik started dating again. Jonna put her whole life and heart into the relationship once again. But Fredrik wasn't so engaged and he wasn't exclusive. So she was serious about their relationship. But he wasn't. This was the beginning of the end. On the last weekend of March, Fredrik had invited a group of friends to party at his place. Jonna was there, and she had a little too much to drink. 
Since they were keeping it cool, she wasn't supposed to stay the night, but she was too drunk to drive home. So Fredrik offered to drive her home. They grabbed their coats and walked down to Fredrik's car that was parked in the lot outside the apartment building. As they were sitting in the car, a girl suddenly comes running at them across the parking lot. She was clearly upset for some reason, and Jonna didn't know who she was. But Fredrik seemed to know her. The girl was Lovisa Lind, an old friend of Fredrik's. It turned out that Fredrik was also dating Lovisa at the time. And when Lovisa saw the two of them in the car, she realized that she wasn't the only woman in his life. She walked over to the passenger side where Jonna was sitting and opened the door to try to pull her out of the car. Lovisa was really angry and screaming at Jonna to get out of the car. Fredrik didn't know what else to do but to close the door and drive off. Which, of course, made Lovisa even more upset. As they drove off, he could see Lovisa yelling and cursing towards them. Fredrik told Jonna that Lovisa and he had known each other since kindergarten. They grew up in the same neighborhood. Lovisa was one year younger than him, and when they were in junior high, they became a couple. All through high school, they were on and off. After their relationship ended, they stayed friends with benefits, who spent a lot of time together when they both were single. Lovisa grew up with her parents and an older brother near Fredrik's parents' house in the town of Askersund. When she was about five years old, in 1996, her parents divorced. She stayed with her mother and spent every other weekend with her father, and her brother stayed with her father full-time. In 2012, Lovisa was 21 years old. Her father helped her get a job, and he watched her friendship with Fredrik from a distance. In his opinion, Fredrik was bad news. He was not boyfriend material at all. He had spent many nights comforting his daughter after Fredrik had treated her badly. But clearly, there was something between them that kept pulling them together again and again. Friends describe Lovisa as a tall, determined young woman. She knew what she wanted, and she never let anyone put her down. She had a temper, and people respected her. When in heated debates, Lovisa was not the one to back down. In this sense, Lovisa was the opposite of Jonna. Jonna was calm and almost shy. Some would even say she was a bit of a pushover. Lovisa, on the other hand, was tougher. She was into cars and motorsports. When Lovisa was about 18 years old, she met a guy named Simon, and they dated for one and a half year. During that time, she kept her distance from Fredrik. But in 2012, they both started working in the sink mine together, and they fell back into their old habits of seeing each other every now and then. But this ended when Fredrik moved in with his girlfriend in Örebro, the same girlfriend he broke up with to be with Jonna in 2013. Jonna didn't know that Fredrik was seeing Lovisa again, but she put two and two together after Lovisa had attacked him in the car. In fact, Fredrik and Lovisa started dating again in February, about the same time as Fredrik reached out to Jonna by text. One can only wonder what was going through his head at this time. Maybe he just wanted to keep them both interested so he could alter between them as he wished. The upcoming months were painful to both Jonna and Lovisa. Their loved ones later told investigators that they noticed something was wrong. They didn't eat and they didn't sleep. Fredrik couldn't decide who he wanted to be with and he strung them both along. Neither one of the girls had the strength to walk away. They both hoped that he would choose them. In the beginning of May, it seemed as if Fredrik was ready to make a commitment to Lovisa. Jonna panicked and told Fredrik that she was pregnant. 
This came as a total shock to Fredrik, who had planned on breaking up with Jonna once and for all. A baby would change everything. And Fredrik didn't want to have a baby with Jonna, so he told her to get an abortion. They argued heavily about it, but at last Jonna told him she would have the abortion. With a sigh of relief, Fredrik prepared to cut Jonna loose and focus solely on Lovisa. On Sunday, June 1st, Fredrik went to an after-work party with his colleagues from the zinc mine. Jonna showed up uninvited with the excuse that she needed to tell him something. And Fredrik coped with the situation by drinking even more. Someone called Lovisa, who showed up at the restaurant shortly thereafter. This was a disaster waiting to happen. And as soon as Lovisa entered the room, Fredrik left with her to go out to the parking lot. Jonna followed them outside, and a heated argument began. While Lovisa was listening, Jonna told Fredrik that she didn't go through with the abortion, that she just couldn't bear the thought of not having his baby. Fredrik couldn't believe what he was hearing. He was moving on with Lovisa, but now the situation completely changed. He couldn't abandon Jonna and the baby. It was just too much to take in, and Fredrik did what any responsible man would do in this situation, uh, or not. He went back into the bar and kept drinking with his friends. The two girls, Jonna and Lovisa, felt that they needed to talk, so they went to a park nearby and sat down on a bench. Jonna told Lovisa how Fredrik had said that she was the only one and that he wants to be exclusive with her. And Lovisa told her how he had said the exact same thing to her. They were both disappointed in him, but at least now they could talk and get everything out in the open. Both girls cried and hugged as they said their goodbye and went back into the others. Before they got back into the bar, Fredrik met up with them outside. But there wasn't much left to say, and Lovisa lost her temper again and left. Fredrik wanted to go home alone, but Jonna decided to go with him, despite his drunken complaints. In Jonna's mind, Fredrik had made a choice, and she was the chosen one. She fell asleep with a strong feeling of victory, and that everything was going to be okay from now on. Finally, her dream had come true. There was just one small detail. There was never a pregnancy. But Jonna figured that she could always take care of that later. The most important thing was that Fredrik was hers now. Fredrik, on the other hand, was feeling stuck and didn't know what to do. He had been wanting to break up with Jonna once and for all. But here she was. What was he going to do? Just like Jonna's previous boyfriend, Niklas, had been unable to break up with her, Fredrik was now in the same position. Jonna just wouldn't take no for an answer. And now she was having his baby. What a mess, he thought to himself. The day after, on Monday, June 2nd, Jonna woke up with a smile on her face. She was thrilled to finally have Fredrik for real this time. And the following week was wonderful, Jonna later told the police. She was the happiest she had been in years. She stayed with Fredrik every night and he was treating her like a princess. Inside Fredrik, though, doubts about the pregnancy lingered, and he was trying to find a way out of the relationship. Later that week, on Saturday night, June 6th, Jonna and Fredrik stayed home. Lovisa had been out partying and decided to give Fredrik a call in the middle of the night, 
or rather in the early hours of Sunday morning. Fredrik took the call and left the bedroom. Jonna was anxious and started crying, wondering what was going to happen next. Had Fredrik changed his mind and wanted to go back to Lovisa again? He came back to bed after a while and she pretended to be asleep. They didn't say anything about it the next day. But Jonna could tell that Fredrik was acting differently around her and she started to feel frightened that she was losing him again. Jonna was starting to act more and more erratic. She couldn't bear the thought of losing Fredrik, but she could feel how he was slipping through her fingers. They argued a lot, and Fredrik asked her several times to take a pregnancy test while he was present, but she refused. At last, he asked her to leave his apartment. This was on Tuesday, June 10th. Jonna grabbed some of her things and went over to the house she still owned together with her previous boyfriend, Niklas. Blinded by jealousy, she wrote a long message to Lovisa on Messenger when she got home. It was filled with poorly hidden threats of violence if she didn't leave Fredrik and her alone. She told Lovisa to back off and go on with her life. After that, she gave her old fling, Adam from Badu, a call and asked if he wanted to hook up on Tuesday that same week. He hadn't heard from her since January, but agreed to get together. Maybe her going out to meet this Adam guy was a way of trying to get Fredrik to become jealous. On Thursday night, Adam and Jonna had dinner at his place. She told him that her relationship was complicated and that uh, they probably were breaking up. Jonna stayed at Adam's for a couple of hours, but then she went home again. They stayed in touch through Facebook messengers in the days to come. At home that night, she came up with a bulletproof plan on how to get Fredrik back. Or at least, that's what she thought. She went to her place of work and fetched suture thread and needles, disinfection, sterile dressings and bandages. And the morning after, on Friday the 13th, she went to Fredrik's place while he was at work. And if you are sensitive, you might want to skip ahead about 20 seconds right now. But here we go. She goes into the bathroom with a kitchen knife and she cuts a three-inch long wound in her own stomach, near her left ovary. She used some topical anesthetic, but that only numbs the skin, so it must have hurt really bad. Then she continues to stitch herself up and put on a sterile compress on top. The plan was to show Fredrik the wound later. When Fredrik came home that afternoon, she immediately took the bandage off and showed him the cut. He asked her what happened, and she explained how she had been rushed to the hospital the day before. The doctors had found one of her fallopian tubes blocked by a blood cloth following the abortion she had. Of course, this was a complete lie. Jonna was never pregnant to begin with. The response she got from Fredrik was not at all what she had hoped for. Instead of pity and a love declaration, Fredrik just said, okay, and sat down in the living room sofa to play Xbox instead. Jonna was deeply disappointed, to say the least. On Saturday, June 14th, Fredrik again asked her to take a pregnancy test in front of him. Since she now had pretended to have an abortion, she said, sure, why not? And the test turned up negative, of course. This was it for Fredrik. Now he knew she wasn't pregnant. And he asked her to give him his keys back and pack up the rest of her things and leave. He said he wanted to break their relationship up for good. And he asked her to stay away from him completely for a couple of days. Jonna then asked him if he started dating Lovisa again, but Fredrik denied that. Jonna came back to her own house, devastated. 
She called her older sister Stina and told her it was over between her and Fredrik and that she felt like putting a bullet in her head. At the same time, she couldn't bear the thought of Lovisa and Fredrik together and she started fantasizing about Lovisa's death. The investigators, who later browsed through her search history from this period, found many disturbing searches. Some of the things she searched for was best way of killing someone, hire a hitman, kill your boyfriend's ex, what does killing someone feel like, getting away with murder, and injecting alcohol in someone's body. She also sent a text to Adam asking if they could get together on the 16th, the following Tuesday. Jonna drove her car to his place that night and parked outside. At 8.13pm she sent a text message to him and he let her in. Adam has later told the police how Jonna was acting kind of low, that she was sad it was over between her and Fredrik. Jonna also mentioned this other woman who was trying to come between them and who had now succeeded. Adam continued his statement of that night by saying how Jonna took the initiative for sex and that they fell asleep at about midnight. The following morning, Jonna left his apartment early in the morning for work and that's the last time he met her. On Wednesday the 17th, Jonna worked all day, but before she left work she took some prescription medicine and a couple of syringes with her. A plan on how to get rid of Lovisa was forming in her head. Jonna was a huge fan of Dexter, the popular series on Netflix about a serial killer that is also a blood splatter analyst for the police force. Jonna figured that his M.O., sedating his victims before killing them, would suit her purposes perfectly. After all, Lovisa was much taller and stronger than her, and she could definitely need the help of sedation if she was going to succeed. While Jonna was plotting to kill Lovisa, and at the same time spending time with Adam, Fredrik felt a sense of relief. He had finally told Jonna that he didn't want to see her anymore, and he could start his life with Lovisa for real this time. On Sunday, the day after he broke up with Jonna, he went over to Lovisa's place and stayed the night there. On Monday, they both went to work, but got together at Lovisa's place later that evening, and Fredrik stayed the night again. On Tuesday night, June 17th, they both went back to Fredrik's apartment in Askersund. They had dinner, watched some TV, and then went to sleep. Fredrik had an early shift on Wednesday, June 18th, so he got up at 5 o'clock, long before Lovisa had to wake up. Before leaving his apartment and the still-sleeping Lovisa, he gently stroked her cheek and told her he loved her and gave her a kiss. He didn't know it then, but that would be the very last time he saw Lovisa alive. On the night of June 17th, Jonna was at home in the house she shared with her ex-boyfriend, Niklas. She had trouble sleeping after a full day of googling murder plots and working up an immense feeling of hatred towards Lovisa. She tossed and turned in her bed, and finally, at four in the morning, she had had enough. It was now Wednesday, June 18th and she was going to set things straight with Lovisa once and for all. There were two possible scenarios in her plan. 
Either she was going to surprise Lovisa at her house and beat her with a hammer until she was unconscious. Or she would sneak into her car and wait until she left for work. As Lovisa was about to drive off, she would inject her with a sedative, Dexter style, and wait for her to doze off. Either way, Jonna later claimed that she never planned to kill her. She only wanted to scare Lovisa so that she would leave Fredrik alone. She walked out the door at 4.15 a.m., armed with a farrier hammer, a hammer used by farriers when they take care of the horse's shoes. She was also carrying a kitchen knife and two syringes filled with a mixture of vodka, alimamacine, and melatonin. Her first stop was Lovisa's apartment building. Somehow she had found out that Lovisa was driving a white Ford Mustang, and when she didn't see a car like that close by, she kept driving. At 4.40 a.m., she sent a text to Niklas, the ex-boyfriend she still shared a house with, and told him a story about how the horses had been on the loose and that she needed to take care of some stuff. Her next stop was Fredrik's place. She drove around the parking lots near the building and found a white Mustang matching the description of Lovisa's car. But to be absolutely sure, she used the online service of the Swedish vehicle register to verify that the car was registered to Lovisa Lind. And it was. By now, it was almost six in the morning, and she knew Fredrik went to work really early. So she stayed in her car, trying not to be seen by anyone. The entrance to Fredrik's apartment building is locked until 6 a.m., which Jonna was fully aware of. She had to wait until 6 a.m. to be able to get into the building. Lovisa would be all alone in Fredrik's apartment, unaware of Jonna's arrival. She was pacing back and forth, trying to figure out the best way to go about her murder plan. Should she wait for Lovisa to be on her way to work at 7, or should she go straight up to her and attack her in the apartment? Jonna's heart and mind was racing. At last, she made up her mind. She was going to go inside. Inside Fredrik's apartment, Lovisa was getting ready for work. She was so happy. For the first time in months, it felt like she and Fredrik would finally work things out. And he had told her that he loved her this morning. She took a last look at herself in the hallway mirror, grabbed her purse and walked out the door. Lovisa turned her back to the stairs as she was locking the door. And that's when Jonas sneaked up on her and hit her in the back of the head with a hammer. According to Jonna's police statement later, nothing happened upon impact. Lovisa didn't react at all the way Jonna had thought she would, so she hit her again, and Lovisa moaned and instinctively pulled her hands up to her head to protect herself from what was hurting her. But she didn't scream. This Jonna clearly remembered. After multiple strokes to her head with the hammer, Lovisa sat down on the stairs going upwards. She was facing Jonna and started to make a sound, and Jonna panicked. She was starting to fear someone was going to hear what was going on in the stairway, so she started to tug at Lovisa, pulling her inside the apartment and closed the door behind them. She dropped the hammer on the floor and told Lovisa to shut up. But she kept moaning, and the moans got louder and louder. Suddenly, something was interrupting the turmoil. A neighbor knocked on the door to the apartment. And this is where we're going to end for today. 
I know it's a real cliffhanger, but the next part of this episode will be out in a week. But if you want to hear the rest of the story right now, it is available on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. On Patreon, the episodes will remain ad-free, always. You can find it on patreon.com slash truecrimesweden. But as you all know by now, we are not quite finished with this episode yet. Before we get into today's fun fact, I want to thank the following listeners for their support on Patreon. Thank you to Bridget C., Lisette S., Kristen G., Jennifer P., Virginia B., Mandy E., and Christopher C. Christopher, or Chris, also came to the podcast convention in Chicago. It was great meeting you, Chris. And thank you so much for all the suggestions on what to do during our 11 days in the US. That was really helpful. And last, but definitely not least, thank you, Brian S. I met both Brian and his beautiful wife, Dana, in Chicago. It was so great meeting both of you. We had some interesting discussions there that night. So thank you all for supporting me. And if we go back to the True Crime Podcast Festival in Chicago, it was so great. I met so many wonderful people, both listeners and other podcasters. I want to send out a special thank you to Susan and her sister Janet that gave me and my researcher Johanna the coolest homemade cookies. One of them said, welcome to Chicago, but in Swedish. And one had a bloody knife on it, just like on my logo. And one had crime scene tape on it. I loved them so much, and it was the very first time a listener brought me something. And to be honest, I almost started crying when they handed them over. It was so sweet. So thank you so much, Susan and Janet. It was great meeting both of you. And say hi to your daughter too, Susan. I'm sorry, but I forgot her name. Today's fun fact is about the differences between the US and Sweden that we thought of while spending 11 days traveling around Michigan Lake and the three days we spent in Chicago. I brought a notebook to write down all the differences that I thought of and my daughters discovered, this being the first time ever for them in the US. The very first thing that was different was the toilets. It went like this. We landed in O'Hare Airport in Chicago at about 4 p.m. on Thursday. Everything went smooth through customs, and that had been my biggest fear, that there would be some trouble to get into the U.S. But everything went really smooth. When we had picked up our bags, we needed to use the restrooms before heading into Chicago. And it went like this. We walk into the restrooms. I got into a stall and I hear Maya, my 15-year-old. And she goes, Oh no, this one is broken. And she goes into the next stall and says loudly in Swedish, This one is broken too. The whole bowl is filled with water. Then I realize that the girls have never seen an American toilet before. And I explained through the wall that there's nothing wrong and there is supposed to be a lot of water in the bowl. Our toilets over here are kind of higher, wherein the American ones are wider in a way. Our bowl, of course, has water in it too, but much less water. I would guess that the water surface area of a Swedish toilet is about one-fifth of an American toilet, if you understand what I mean. Both works fine, but it's a lot different when you haven't seen it before. And then we can talk a little about the public drinking thing, or drinking in general. Public drinking isn't allowed in Sweden either. But if there is an outdoor concert or something, people bring their picnic and drink their wine and beer without hiding it. And the police doesn't care. But me and my husband went down to the beach in Chicago the day before the podcast event. The girls were, of course, shopping, and we just wanted to spend a couple of hours at the beach. But before entering the beach area, 
we and everyone else who was going to the beach were stopped by police and we had to show them what we had in our bags. The only time that would happen in Sweden would be if you are going into a concert or an arena. But at least I got to meet the Chicago PD, so I'm happy. And no, we didn't have any alcohol hidden in our bags. And then we have my 18-year-old, Amanda, who is now allowed to drink in a bar in Sweden, but not in the US. But she, of course, as a teenager she is, googled like crazy and found out that in Wisconsin, the law says that the drinking age in Wisconsin is 21, those under the legal drinking age may be served, possess, or consume alcohol if they are with a parent, legal guardian, or spouse who is of legal drinking age. So, when going to Wisconsin, she had a glass of wine with dinner one night, and she was happy. Another thing that is different is when you go to a restaurant, and when you get the check. Let me explain. If you go to a restaurant in Sweden, you will never get the check before you ask for it. But in the US, you can get the check when you are finished eating, and then you can just start up a new one if you want anything else. Handing out the check without the guest asking for it first would be considered extremely rude in Sweden. Almost like, we don't want you here anymore, pay and leave kind of statement. That is so different. But we really loved being in the US, and the girls loved it too. We drove from Chicago and all the way around Michigan Lake, passing through Wisconsin, Michigan, and a short visit through Indiana before arriving back in Illinois. Amanda was happy about going through four states, because she collects coffee mugs from Starbucks, so she bought one in each state. It had been over 19 years since I was in the US the last time, but I'm not going to let another 19 more years pass. If I can make it work, I will be going to CrimeCon next year. That would be so great. Well, that's all I had for today. And don't forget that part 2 of this story is available at patreon.com slash truecrimesweden right now. I hope to see you next time. Goodbye. Hej då.